It's Alum Group's Andrea Lay, Packview's Melissa Burdick, special guest Jackie Donowski from Flywheel, and I'm PVSB, also from Flywheel. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 13th, and it's time for the Fresh Four. Four curated news stories from the past week. We find them polyhistorically intriguing. We hope you do too. They're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence and news. Retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Jackie, kick us off, would you? Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect to bring closed-loop attribution to streaming advertisers. Well, hello there, Fresh Boy listeners. Disney Advertising and Walmart Connect have solidified an agreement to bring the retailer's industry-leading audience solutions and measurement to Disney's addressable streaming inventory. The collaboration will enable enhanced audience targeting and outcome-based measurements for brand campaigns across Disney's streaming portfolio, including Hulu and Disney+. Connecting Walmart's customer insights with Disney's proprietary audience graph will help advertisers reach their desired audiences and measure the impact of their campaigns through closed-loop attribution. Thanks, Jackie. Andrea, over to you. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. NBC Universal and Instacart link up to bring retail media opportunities to TV. NBC Universal and Instacart are expanding their existing partnership to include a new retail media workstream that will enable Instacart's CPG advertisers to connect with consumers via NBC Universal's streaming and linear television content. In late 2023, the companies teamed up to include access to NBC Universal's streaming platform Peacock as part of the Instacart Plus membership package. Now, with this new first-party data collaboration, advertisers will be able to reach consumers through NBC Universal's content and measure the impact of their campaigns by leveraging ad exposure and purchase data from Instacart. Thank you, Andrea. Melissa, what do you have for us? Amazon has announced a new country that they're opening up. Amazon has announced that it will launch a new dedicated website for Ireland in 2025. Currently, most Irish customers use Amazon sites based in the UK or other European countries. The company said the Irish site will mean that users will be able to avoid additional customs charges and currency conversion fees, and it will also lead to faster delivery and returns for many items. All right, over to you, Peter. It's PVSB. You know what I've really missed? In-person events. And I'm really looking forward to Grocery Shop this September 19th to the 22nd in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you haven't heard of it, it's one of, if not the, leading CPG grocery events. So mark your calendars. We're talking more than 150 speakers, executives from companies like Danone, GoPuff, Ahold Delhaes, Clorox, Instacart, and a whole bunch of others. You gotta check out the full list. It is awesome. I'm looking forward to the networking as well. It's going to be great to see people in person. Should be a fantastic time. I'll be there, as will my Fresh Four co-hosts, Andrea Lay and Melissa Burdick. So come hang out. You can learn more about it on their website. It's www.groceryshop.com. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, 
and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm Sri, recently located to Southern California, Peter's favorite part of the country, even though he chooses to live in Connecticut. And I'm coming to you from Southern California, Peter from Connecticut. And I'm, of course, one of the aforementioned CPG guys. My co-host is the man with the golden voice, the VP of Partner Strategy and Development for Fetch Rewards, a mobile loyalty platform. Please join me in welcoming the man I sometimes lovingly called Mr. 007 himself, Mr. Bond. Peter, how are you doing today? Shree, it's a great day. I know you and I, as we record this, are getting ready to close on our on our houses uh, serendipitously on the very same day. So we what are. What were the odds, Peter? Uh, what were one the in three sixty-five, right? If we're and closing. we didn't, we didn't <laughs> talk to anybody. We didn't pre-plan this. We're running independently, and lo and behold, I know. But looking forward to getting. I'm I'm relocating to Guilford. You're going to be in one of the LA suburbs. So exciting times for all of us. We're getting down to the end of the baseball season. I know we're splitting hairs right now, uh, you know, but it's a fun. Hey, listen, the fall classic is always a fun run at the after the All Star break, and we're we're deep in it. Shri, I know that you and I are very competitive, but we're also having a lot of fun. And I'm very sad that prior to this, you and I had bought tickets to go see the Dodgers play at at City Field. And I'm sorry you're not going to be able to join me next weekend for that. I actually owe Peter an, a public apology for that because I told him to go out and buy those tickets. And here I am sitting in SoCal and we're going to miss the game. I, I found a good friend of mine from business school who's a Mets fan and we're going we're gonna to go enjoy the tickets nonetheless. Notice how he quote unquote says good friend. That said, you're a friend. <laughs> you're my friend, Shrey. That's it. Peter's right. It's the suburbs of LA because I have lived in a city and probably the only city on planet Earth I would like to live in, go forward, is actually the city of London over in the United Kingdom. That feels like a manageable city compared to most other places in the world. But thank you, Peter. But before we get to our guests, I want to remind our audience that all of our content that includes what you need to learn about profitability, our women's leadership series back in the fall of 2020, where Peter and I were able to donate $8,000 to the Susan G. Komen Fund, as well as our Founders Series, which is ongoing Q1 and Q2 of 2021, can easily be found. All you got to do, go to cpgguys.com and join our growing LinkedIn family of over 6,500 listeners that are extremely engaged in our podcast and our conversations, shaping the outcome of the show by recommending what guests they want, what topics they want, and things of that nature. How do you do that? Pretty simple. Go to LinkedIn.com. There's a search bar on the top left. Type CPG guys. A blue plus button appears. Step one, two, three, boom. Click it and you're part of this growing family and help us develop what content you want to see on this show. And based on your feedback, analytics and insights was an area that you love. And we've talked to a few analytics and insight providers. And today we're doing such a thing where we're going to decompose solutions, talk about data, talk about ROI optimization, and talk about value that brands can have in their P&L. Who is it? It's someone from PSIGNITE, a company focused on working with the Salesforce set of solutions to enable workflow-based outcomes that leverage data, IoT, AI, and ML. Peter, join me in welcoming to our podcast, an old friend of mine, back from PepsiCo days. How about that? And of course, Peter, PepsiCo brings back a 
favorite memory to you as well. Mr. Austin Wilmore himself, who's VP of product strategy, all the way from the United Kingdom. And Austin, I did not say London. Just to impress you, that's truly in my heart. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, Rui. It's really good to, uh, you know, to be back with you and really, really nice to spend time with you, Peter. Uh, so thanks very much for having me. Awesome. Before we get to the questions, Austin, would you please first tell us about, for the purpose of our audience, where they can learn more about Peace Ignite solutions and then a brief overview of what Peace Ignite actually does? Yeah, sure. So obviously the best place to find us is at our website, which is www.psignite or psignite.com. Um, so you'll find us on there on everybody's favorite uh, Google search. Um, now, a little bit about what PS Ignite actually does. Where, as you mentioned, Salesforce in the intro, we are dedicated to Salesforce. We only use Salesforce technologies underneath our solutions. But uh, that said, we actually have developed a, a suite of products that are dedicated to con consumer packaged goods uh, that encompass um, really some, some very niche areas around driving commercial productivity and improvement uh, that encompass, you know, the topic of today's conversation, things such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, IoT, and how you can use, you know, the vast data sources and richness of data for both collective advantage, both for the consumer, for, you know, the retailers, you know, ultimately their customers, and of course ourselves as, as manufacturers. Austin, thank you for that awesome introduction. The first thing I'm going to do is do justice to the show. At the show here, we have a strict rule, which is when we use acronyms, I used a whole bunch of them right now. AI, artificial intelligence, IoT, Internet of Things, and ML, machine learning. It would be very unfair to our audience if I don't ask you to open this dialogue with a decomposition of what those three things mean. But more importantly, Austin, why are those relevant post-pandemic to the CPG industry? Sure, and I, and I think that's a really good, you know, I think that's a really good uh, call out, Shri. You know, there's a, there's a lots of use of buzzwords without necessarily, you know, a proper understanding of actually how they bring value, let alone what the acronym stands for. Um, so if we run through, you know, and we're focused on the consumer, on the retailer, on the CP, you know, on the, on the manufacturer, the CPG, um, where these things start to play in, you know, if we look at some of the core capabilities, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, well, it's a really bit of a catch-all or AI is a really bit of a catch-all for a variety of, in, a variety of technologies uh, that are really around augmenting, you know, um, decision-making, augmenting insights. When we, when we kind of take that a step further, with things like machine learning, here we're shifting away from simple, well, relatively simple augmented decision support, but into you know computer algorithms that are actually exploring the data on your behalf, often at vast scale and at, and at vast speed, uh, and allowing to identify new correlations, new opportunities uh, for both the CPG, for the retailer, but more, more critically, uh, for the consumer, what's really in it for the consumer? How do we make uh, either the product better, the price better, the pack price better, uh, the experience better in collaboration with our retail partners or online? So 
this is where machine learning models really start to to play something very positive to you and I who are in the shops, down the street, buying things. Um, where IoT, so this is the Internet of Things, and, and really, you know, what is the Internet of Things all about? You know, there's a, there's a lot of buzz around it. It's used in consumer electronics. It's used in B2B. It's used in shop floor. You know, you look at our, you know, our electric cars, you know, ostensibly these are, you know, Internet of Things. You know, it's a, it's a thing connected through the Internet that's providing sensory data information that then allows other decisions to be made. So, for example, a car that self-drives, it's reading data, it's reading sensors, it's processing that, making decisions on your behalf or to augment your driving ability um, to then make you safer for yourself and for other road users. And this is precisely what is, you know, we're trying to achieve and hopefully we're succeeding in, you know, in the consumer products landscape as well. You know, post-COVID, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of one of our products, um, which is Smart Assets. It's all around connecting um, basically fridges, freezers, coolers, you know, the, the kind of branded stuff that you see out there in the marketplace. You know, Shree, you and I have spent many a time propping up a, a Pepsi fridge. Um, so it's exactly those kind of devices. Um, but those things, once we start to equip them with, Censoring so that they're they're aware of their location, they're aware of uh, how they're performing, they're aware of their inventory, uh, and more more increasingly, you know, they're aware of actually you know potentially even anonymized. There may be a consumer that's that's interested in their product or is passing by that unit, uh, and can then using artificial intelligence, some machine learning, is then able to you know, play a digital media, a, a display, an advert actually on the front door of, of those coolers, those those fridges, to that really have the, the intent to both, you know, attract a shopper, engage the shopper, and then ultimately deliver that sale. So that's a very succinct and, you know, tidy way of kind of describing how we bring together IoT, uh, AI, and machine learning. So... That was, Peter, one of the most eloquent explanations I've heard on the CPG guys of three different buzzwords, IoT, AI, and ML. So, Austin, can you give us the 60-second version of how those three words connect back to PSIGNITE? Sure. So we embrace all of you know AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, IoT, uh, image recognition, uh, product recognition, and connect all of those things back into our suite of products that ultimately deliver value or an enriching experience to, to the shopper, the consumer, to the retailer, uh, and, and obviously to, you know, who are typically our customers, the, the CPGs, the manufacturers. That's great. And thank you for that, Austin. What I hear you telling me is that we're getting very close to the point where all of this is going to understand when I'm leaving my house to go to the store so that my favorite energy drink is available in the front end cooler in the aisle that I'm most likely going to check out. That to me is like the grand vision of how all of this integrates. So I'm very excited about that. By the way, welcome to the show. Excited to speak with you. Shri has talked about you in the past and, uh, and I'm very excited to, to dig in a little deep. 
I'm very involved as I have been in, in a lot of my, my, the companies worked with in the past with Salesforce and those who are very invested in Salesforce understand that there are many clouds. Salesforce is not, not a single entity. There's, there's its marketing cloud. It's, it's commerce cloud. It's service cloud. So what I'd love for you to do is speak about how with PS Ignite, you are actually uh, connecting the work that you're doing and what are the components of Salesforce, the different clouds that your solutions are focused against? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that was a very, very nice introduction to uh, Salesforce, to be perfectly honest, Peter. Um, you're right. Uh, Salesforce embraces multiple clouds and, and our products actually span a number of them. So when we were when we were looking at the underlying architecture to, to our products, obviously, we don't want to be running data centers. We don't be wanting to be running servers, et cetera, all the security considerations. So effectively, Salesforce take care of all of that for us. Um, now, what that gives us in turn is then an incredibly scalable and secure platform that we can build and innovate on. So the typical areas that we work, um, you know, with our you know, I'll use I'll use the smart assets example, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about another one of our products uh, as well. Within smart assets, it's really around you know identifying and driving productivity with coolers and fridges. Uh, but you know, one of the biggest pain points uh, with those devices is if you know if they suddenly um, you know have a maintenance issue, um, you know suddenly break down. You know, at any any given point in time, uh, and this is I, I won't say I won't name the uh, the brand, uh, but six percent of their units are, are inoperable at any moment in time. So right here, right now, six percent uh, are inoperable, and that might be inoperable for you know nobody exactly nobody fixes them for you know immediately. Um, so it could be three, four, five. You know, actually, the average is around seven days before it's it, before it's fixed. That's seven days of lost sales. So there's significant, you know, there's significant um, money there. So with our smart asset solution, we're able to use, again, coming back to artificial intelligence and machine learning, identify abnormalities in operations that allow us to then leverage the power of Salesforce and, and in this instance, Service Cloud, uh, that then automatically triggers uh, a maintenance ticket, an engineering ticket, uh, and that can then be triggered all the way through the workflows of Service Cloud. And indeed, depending on what, what a customer wants and how they've got their um, you know, ecosystem set up, all the way through to third-party engineers using Salesforce, you know, um, you know, field service lightning. So all of the additional components that a customer may want, uh, may want to use, may want to leverage uh, that are all literally plug and play onto the Salesforce platform. So I think that's a, you know, a really solid example of, of how that cloud fits. However, it isn't just about, you know, you know, smart assets isn't just a maintenance platform. You know, it's really around outlet, you know, managing the, the outlet, the inventory. So that starts to tie us into other clouds, you know. So for example, sales cloud, you know, how do we hook into sales cloud? How do we optimize replenishment and visits to those coolers? That ties into one of Salesforce's latest clouds, uh, Consumer Goods Cloud, which you, you, I'm sure you've heard of. There was many fanfares about it. 
Uh, and we partnered very closely with Salesforce on that cloud and continue to do so today, both in terms of our own innovations and, you know, and, and working very closely with the Salesforce product team to ensure that we're in lockstep um, and are really driving the value through that. What we develop brings value, what they're putting into the core product, we can leverage and bake into our future roadmaps, et cetera. Um, and then finally, we talked about marketing cloud is another, you know, I know certainly from your background, Peter, will, you know, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll know and love, you know, I talked about how our smart assets can, you know, media stream to, you know, digital displays attached to fridges, freezers, or indeed, indeed any media. Uh, and of course, that's where marketing cloud content serving comes in and gives us a phenomenal integrated platform that can do all of those things, everything from sales through to marketing, through to, through to service. I mean, it's kind of like what we used to dream of back in the, you know, the late 90s when we were all buying ERPs, but it's now available on the cloud and in a very, you know, highly innovative, highly configurable format and, and obviously considerably, considerably less than we used to spend on ERP. Tree, what I hear is Austin telling us that they have built a platform that integrates with the best, best parts and the most functional parts of Salesforce that enable automated triggering of processes that have been optimized through Salesforce. And that means brands are going to get uh, the best possible results and they are going to capture, uh, they are going to maximize the amount of sales they can capture by minimizing the amount of outages and other issues in the process. So I think that's tremendous. Look, I hear optimization. The first thing that comes to my head is ROI and value yeah. and the creation the creation of ROI. Um, and so what I'd love to learn, you know, we talked a lot about Salesforce. We talked a lot about the automation of processes. You decompose those industry words, which sometimes tend to be buzzwords, but you've eloquently connected them to meaningful outcomes for brands. So I want to jump to the retail side for one quick second, and I want to think about the shopper, right? Who's We started this conversation by talking about the shopper, and Peter referred to a moment where when they leave their house, there is the possibility, not 10 years into the future, but now that the retailer may even know exactly what need state they're coming to the store for or they're actually shopping for when online. How does Peace Ignite connect itself with all your capabilities into the retail funnel and especially to the shopper? Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's critical. It's really one of the fundamentals of, of our design and, and our design principles. You know, much like a brand, you know, we, you know, we hold the, the consumer and the shopper as the ultimate customer of ours. Um, so, so the whole value chain through to retailer, through to manufacturer, uh, are all lenses and views that we look at our solutions through. So when we're talking about things such as smart assets or indeed optimizer, we're always focused with that view on the consumer or the shopper in terms of both experience. Uh, and that might take different forms. You know, if I look at smart assets, it's really about ensuring that we have, you know, to Peter's utopia, that we have the right product on the right shelf or on the right cooler at the right time. And that can take various forms. We use, you know, we don't just use, you know, mathematical data. We take various data pools and some quite novel and quite innovative data streams to identify some things as prosaic as weather, which is to, to a larger extent, 
um, predictable, at least in the in the near term, and therefore adjusting the inventory and the product mix so that the products uh, that are actually on stock are applicable. You know, the, um, you know, well, with the exception of my son, there, there aren't too many people that are desperate for ice creams in the middle of December, or certainly not in the UK. Um, however, you know, when we're looking in, you know, looking into, you know, seasonal weather conditions, you know, things like sodas, you know, um, or as they call them, fizzy drinks over here in the UK, um, you know, once you get above 35 degrees Celsius, people start to stop drinking sodas uh, and they'll switch to hydrants, you know, sports drinks, waters, you know, pure, pure hydrants. Now, because we know that through our inventory analysis and, and weather predictions, it means that we can then provide suggested replenishments that include more of those uh, hydrants rather than more of those sodas uh, in a truly measured ROI and cost-effective way, which then give the consumer what they want. Nothing, nothing quite like being, you know, a hot summer's day. You're desperate for, you know, a Powerade or a Gatorade. You open the fridge and there's nothing there. All you've got is a soda. Um, so having that. Um, capability, I think, is sensational both for the shopper and for the retailer because everybody's benefiting. The consumer's getting what they want, where they want it, when they want it, and the retailer is able to sell it to them. Uh, which obviously, you know, in many retail, you know, environments, even in impulse, is always an opportunity for, you know, uh, an incremental sale or an affinity purchase just by just by a consumer. We do it without even thinking, and then on. Items like optimization. So this is this is something I've not really touched upon. Um, this is you know a very innovative promotional optimization platform. And here, something that we do uniquely with our algorithms and with our machine learning is the we look at what is really appealing to to the shopper. So it's not just about price and volume, which is how you know historically a lot of a lot of these things have been designed. It's it's got a very manufacturer or a very retailer lens. Again, our principle is always about the shopper and the consumer. So we're looking at data, you know, whether you want to call it looking for needles, you know, needles in a needle stack, or you know, uh, whether you want to call it you know advanced conjoint analysis. We don't really care because all we're concerned with is the shopper and the consumer. So we're looking at those combinations of product, of, of the offer to the consumer. Is it, you know, is it any buy one, get one free? Is it 50% uh, free product? Mathematically and product-wise, it's the same, but they have different appeals to different types of shoppers. So understanding that difference you know, is some things that have often been missed because at a basic price and volume, it's just getting missed. So we really drill down into the details of what's really working for the shopper, um, what's really working at a price point, which is clearly important to the manufacturer and to the retailer, uh, and what's clearly you know um, going to deliver a true ROI and a win-win for everybody from the shopper through to the retailer through to the manufacturer. Shree, the only thing, Peter, I wanted to append there is Austin. Your son is not the only one who, screen, uh, who actually craves ice cream late at night. I cannot explain this, but last night at 11 p.m. Pacific time, I wanted to have Alfonso mango ice cream, and I found it in one shop, Mashti Malone's, in Los Angeles. But I had to get Uber Eats, and it did show up in 32 minutes. 
Congratulations no, to Uber Eats and Mashti Malone's for making my fantasy come true with See, Alfonso my, May. My wife got gotten... two spoons. That's it, Peter. Shri, <laughs> my wife's got a much better delivery system. She she comes into the bedroom about ten ten at night, taps me on the shoulder, and says, "Would you like to go down to the freezer in the basement and bring me up an ice cream sandwich?" So she she and and there was no tipping involved either. <laughs> so it was, she 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 maximized her return and minimized her investment. But in Imagine any event, Peter, if Zara yeah. and Kavita were to talk about ev- everything that happens in your household. Oh my God! Let's keep uh, that. We we we're lucky we kept them apart as as long as we did, Shri. It could it could just be disastrous. I love this. We're talking about all these terms that you and I love. Um, uh, not not only did uh, you know Austin brought up uh, hydration terms that we're familiar with. You know, we just discussed this week. The nutrition term with PepsiCo divesting themselves of their uh, their juice, juice portfolio yeah. and hydration. Yeah. I, I feel like you. I feel like we need to hear have a moment of silence and remember all sport. Remember all sport back in the day. Wasn't that fun? In any event, sorry. We're we're I we're am a hundred percent sure. Back in the past ten years ago, Austin and I were working together on IoT and connected devices for food service vending machines. Am I right, Austin? You are indeed correct. And, and, and in full transparency, those those ideas that we generated uh, back then were actually uh, at the kernel for what we've built in smart assets. You know, the difference being is we now do it retrospectively for, you know, there's 60 million plus units that are out there already. You know, that's a phenomenal, nobody could afford to replace them um, overnight. Um, so it was really, you know, that those those innovations were, were really were the kernel, to be honest, Shri. You know, Shri, before Absolutely. you and I before you and I were reunited at PepsiCo, I was at Freedom Pay. Freedom Pay is a very different model now. They're very much about digital transactions, but at the time, they were working very closely with PepsiCo on enabling the ability to purchase vent, purchase transactions through vending machines and track purchasing behaviors based upon the buttons that were pushed on the machine. Like it was. It was revolutionary at the time. It was challenging to achieve, but that's why I love that. That's why I love what we do, right? Because we're talking about uh, the ability to just, at the end of the day, improve improve the customer experience through insights and and experiences. So I'm not. Gonna, I'm not. So go ahead, yeah. Peter. Sorry. No, I was just. I was going to do it. I was just going to simply say um, that 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 would that that was work that I was doing on a pilot perspective. So it kind of takes me to the next question, right? But what really, what, where, where I want to go with is analytics, right? Analytics to me, favorite Shri, topic. you know, I love it. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you deal with the pilot aspect. Cause I know you, you're champing at the bit to talk about that. Yes. But for me, you know, analytics is the Holy grail of decision-making, right? Austin, I really want to hear what PS Ignite specifically provides to enable decision making for consumer packaged goods companies, especially through that whole planning process. Because it's all very fascinating. I really want to know where the rubber meets the road. Yep. Okay. So again, again, uh, it applies for across, across our portfolio of products, smart assets, optimizer, and, and vision. But I'll, I'll focus on. Um, I'll focus on smart assets. We've, we've spent quite a bit of time on that one. So without, without it absorbing everything, let me tell you how smart assets works and how we use analytics for planning. So thinking back to 
placing those vending machines or those coolers, those fridges. Um, what, you know, the, the underlying analytics are able to determine and provide, you know, what are, you know, the ROIs based on placement. So where have you placed these fridges? What type of outlets? What type of asset was it? What's been the throughput? What's been uh, the sales and the volume ROI? How does it compare to similar type outlets? So, you know, effectively, you know, looking at, you know, similar stores, you know, a, a kind of pseudo, pseudo store clustering technique, looking at, you know, if all my convenience stores are equal, then they should all be achieving the same kind of thing. And looking for the out, the outliers to understand what's different, you know, both positive and negative. If there's something positive, uh, the analytics will identify potential causals or changes that need to be made uh, in terms of execution. So that's that's more of the, the everyday planning aspect. More strategically, and particularly now in certain parts of the world, as we hopefully start to emerge from COVID or at least start to learn to live with it, you know, through through the pandemic, there were, you know, a phenomenal amount of businesses that were just, you know, basically wiped out. So think of all the, you know, the local bars, convenience stores, et cetera, particularly here in, in Europe um, and emerging markets and indeed, you know, down into Africa as well, um, that just ceased to exist. Um, the flip side of that for, you know, manufacturers with, with assets, you know, so that's the ice cream companies, uh, the soda companies, the beer companies, is that those assets, you know, one, they don't know where they are, uh, and two, as new business as new businesses start to emerge, new new bars, restaurants, um, convenience stores start to open up, there's now going to be a battle for how do I place and where do I place my new, my new equipment, you know, my my expensive assets. We provide a set of analytics that actually, one, understand what works and what has worked. And thankfully, our machine learning models have, have adjusted, you know, uh, very diligently for a COVID world. So that, that's been a learning for us, to be perfectly honest. We weren't sure how they cope. Um, but then using additional, you know, some really, really novel data sets, something that we call geopopularity, we're able to identify through a variety of filters where people are likely to be. So, for example, sightseeing. Hopefully, that's an obvious one for everybody. Um, you know, sightseeing, you know, maybe, you know, and that can include museums, art galleries, coast, um, you know, through to um, food, you know, so um, eating out, you know, restaurants, um, sports, uh, nightlife. Um, or, so we have some base classifications and we can develop uh, others using the data that we have, but we're then able to identify uh, on, a, on, a, on a map, where are the hotspots and look at that on a map to then determine, okay, well, if I want to, you know, there's room in this particular hotspot for, let's say I'm Pepsi, let's go back, you know, 10 years, there's room in this location within the nightlife category for me to place uh, another eleven coolers within this particular within this particular patch or area, uh, and then it will determine the capex required, uh, what um, what the you know total ROI is uh, for that asset. But you know, quickly, what's going to be the payback? How quickly are you going to get your money back? Uh, and then really start to kick in. So those are some of the novel you know forward planning uh, pieces in a very specific 
solution in terms of uh, assets. Now, when we come into more traditional areas, and again, you know, so I'm thinking here around, you know, volume planning, you know, what's my, what's my baseline plan for my products, uh, particularly given that the channels have all shifted, big move into e-commerce, big box, you know, some of the speciality convenience certainly in Europe had been effectively closed down or was open and closing, open and closing. Um, so all of that shifted. So even, you know, some of our most, you know, respected and, and thorough planners when looking at supply planning, demand planning, are having a tough time. Um, so what we've built with our optimizer solution is really uh, an all-encompassing commercial planning capability. So, so what does it do? You know, I've talked about, you know, baseline planning. So the ability to build, you know, um, a machine learning driven, you know, and statistical baseline per product. Um, look at that across the various, you know, in totality, look at it by skew uh, and look at it by the varying channels. Um, the ability to then, you know, with so much innovation and the need for innovation to then apply proxy skews. Um, so basically, you know, ghost an existing skew of where we think a, a product extension or a new line will perform. Um, so again, it's smoothing that production curve and understanding what that's, you know, what that means both up and down the, the supply chain and ultimately into fulfillment. And then finally into, you know, how do we then start to plan? You know, I've got my base volume, but we all still need to, to make money and, and grow profitably. How do I start to set my uh, my commercial objectives? So here, as part of Optimizer, we've built a top-down, bottom-up um, commercial planning uh, solution. So it's effectively a module of our of our optimization technology that allows us to plan from you know the typical brand manager type level. Okay, my brand's going to achieve X amount of revenue, X amount of volume, and that's me done. Um, all the way down to an individual SKU level, so the individual product, and then ultimately down to channel um, and account level, but then reconcile that, so bottom up, all the way back up. So we end up with what, what has been for, and something, Sri, you may recall, we were, we were always, you know, you know, ardent fans of, you know, that one number forecast for both sales, for volume, for supply. Everybody's working to a single target, a single number. Um, so that, you know, optimizer target planning allows businesses to achieve that. But that's only one dimension. Um, we will then have optimization. So again, using some leading, um, you know, some very much, not, not quite uh, bleeding edge, but certainly leading edge um, analytical capabilities to develop an optimized plan of promotional activity for you know any given account for any given period for any given number of SKUs and that in itself is quite unique so we're optimizing and planning at the event level which is basically mimicking what a key account manager would do in in the real world we're augmenting their judgment we're helping them plan better uh, with a solid fact base which then in turn you know allows the manufacturer's key account manager to take that to a retailer and actually talk to the retailer about why this is this event or these sequences of events are so powerful for the retailer and why there'll be a winning combination uh, and a winning offer to ultimately the shopper and the consumer. So again, empowering not just fact-based selling to, um, to the manufacturer, 
um, to inform the retailer, but so that we can share that insight with the retailer to the benefit of the consumer. So our, our planning, you know, we started off the journey really as, well, we can really improve the optimization piece, but where that thought process actually took us, Peter, was to the, the realization that we actually need to address the entire planning piece. So that's that's what we've done. Got it, Austin. Again, thank you for the uh, eloquent explanation of solutions there. But I want to ask the MVP question of the day, which is, so you've developed the secret sauce, you've developed the engines, data is at the heart of this, talked a lot about smart devices and the applicability in Salesforce. Are you guys doing pilots yet? And if you are, which categories would be ideal? Sounds like food and Bev from a, especially Bev from our past life is a big one, but I'd love to hear that from you. And should our listeners be interested in talking to any of you in a pilot? How do they follow up? And is it true that I hear you have a no risk impact assessment for a pilot? Right. Wow. That, 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 was, a, that was a heavily nested question. <laughs> so let me take that through. So, so the last piece first. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're so confident in what we've built, you know, we will do a, a no risk pilot, be it a, you know, we, we sometimes phrase it as a no risk pilot or actually, you know, a customized proof, uh, proof of concept. So we'll take a customer's demo, uh, customer's data on, on a select number of categories, uh, their choosing, uh, a select number of accounts and actually, you know, run their data through, through our engines and algorithms. Uh, to then, you know, offer up perhaps an alternative view of maybe last year, um, rather because that then gives them, you know, clear data to then look at what they achieve versus what could have been achieved using our algorithms. So it's a proof point, you know, trying to optimize for the future. You know, that's very hard to prove. Um, but when we run comparisons with historical data, and, and we did we did a significant um, pilot for you know, a large North American uh, food business, well, actually food and beverage business, but food business primarily uh, across three categories. Um, and and the results were, were sensational, that they, they were already doing um, some form, you know, I think mostly manual and intelligence-based optimization using brains rather than any, you know, technology to support that. But even they were surprised at, you know, what, what we uncovered. Uh, and and some of the opportunities they now have to, you know, to to start to redress, you know, some of some of those uh, those issues that were found less issues but opportunities. Back to, you know, pilots. Yes, we are. You know, I'm always obviously we'd all love customers, um, and, and that they will happen, um, and indeed are happening. But I'm always keen to take on new pilot opportunities. Uh, depending on the category, where it allows us to further enrich and develop our models. So, for example, we're about to kick off a pilot this time in uh, in Latin America, which is a notoriously difficult market because of the mix of, you know, uh, grocery and traditional, you know, trade uh, in terms of sectors. Uh, and this is within uh, alcoholic beverages. So that was a particular challenge. And we, you know, I really felt that if we could, you know, take the learnings and incorporate those into, into our models and algorithms, 
it would really give us something quite unique and special that would be applicable for many other parts of the world, not just in, in Latin America. So we are always keen to look at pilots. Um, and then, of course, with things like, you know, smart assets, we, you know, smart assets is there's obviously the beverage community, um, you know, the pilot opportunities, you know, these things are big, big bets and big investments. Less of less of a bet now, but still could be a sizable investment. So I'm always keen to again prove out the value of our, you know, smart asset solution through you know a small pilot, uh, a, you know, a low risk pilot, so that people can prove it out and also more critically understand how they would adopt all the process and embed that into their everyday way of working, etc. We're, we're doing. You know, we're on the cusp, I can't say too much, but we're on the cusp of something pretty big in uh, the vending space, which again is using our smart assets capabilities, but taking it to a whole new level of scale. But to do that, that will absolutely need a pilot. So, you know, short answer, categories clearly, you know, food and beverage uh, are clearly great sectors for us um, and great products. It's something, you know, like you guys from the industry, we know, we love, we know our brands, we do our research, we we know what is likely to work and we look for data to prove or disprove that and then find solutions for the manufacturer, the retailer, and ultimately the shopper. So those those are definitely, you know, the, the categories that I'd be looking for rather than something like, you know, um, you know, fresh produce or, you know, um electronics. So Austin Obviously, then, if you're doing pilots, a core component of convincing client pr- prospective clients to actually go full scale with you is is measuring the return on investment. So to that end, how exactly are you measuring ROI uh, and what metrics can you establish to ensure that brands are confident that the ROI that that uh, that you're delivering is meaningful for their business? And um, we've got, again, as you would imagine, a fairly analytical approach to this. So within smart assets, we've got, you know, as, as part of as part of the, the early discussions, to be perfectly honest, with, with potential customers, we provide them um, several, several models that will actually take inputs that, you know, they can have these models, they can put the data in themselves uh, that will actually calculate what, based on the number of assets, the price of assets, book depreciation value, um, average maintenance, you know, uh, recovery periods, average out of stock periods, will actually calculate what the potential ROI is. Um, and I'll give you an example. You go from, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, cooler or fridge being out of operation for a week. Let's say we're not going to go from a week to zero. That's just not realistic. But let's say we're going to go, if we're going to reduce those date days not working from seven to let's say two or three, let's say three in half. So they can put realistic numbers in there and then the models will actually project uh, a number of scenarios. So basically, okay, you take all the savings and this is your your, your total ROI and increased profit and margin um, without, you know, just saving. So very simple. We also have a second scenario, which is where the, the capital that you're saving uh, gets reinvested. 
So you're actually, it becomes, you know, a virtuous circle where you're adding more assets into the field, which are generating more sales, which are generating more revenue. Um, so we provide that to our potential customers, um, you know, free effectively so that they can actually determine their own ROI. With, with Optimizer, this is really around, because obviously, it, you know, how our Optimize engines work, it's designed to work against your commercial objectives. So some of those could be, you know, I want, you know, I want volume, you know, I want volume at any price. So I'm effectively buying market share, you know, and those are, those are legitimate commercial strategies uh, at, at certain points in time and for certain brands. Um, or I need to maintain my, 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 you know, net market share, uh, but want to increase my profitability, my margin. And, and that's, again, a very valid commercial objective for some of those categories that, that are declining. So some of those categories that are in, in a declining mode, you know, total share is, is shrinking, but you want to, you know, you want to retain your relative share and potentially even steal a little bit, but maintain your margin. So those, those require very specific ROI measurements. So, you know, what we look at when we, you know, when we first do, you know, a pilot is, okay, well, what, what did you do? You know, if we're going to compare against historical data, what were you trying to achieve that year? Uh, this is what you did to achieve it or not achieve it. Right. We're going to set the same, effectively the same reference point for, for our uh, optimization engines and see what that comes back with and see if it's delivering a greater or a lesser, you know, ROI. Both, does it meet the objective, more importantly, uh, but then how did it meet it? You know, um, you know, the reality is we're often pulling both market share, volume, margin. We're pulling those levers all at the same time um, at any given point in the year. So understanding the nuances of that and then getting down into hard numbers is really how we measure it. Um, so completely transparently, um, because, you know, if, you know, I believe and we've seen it, we can do what we say, say it does. It's really important that customers see it and believe it as well. Fair enough. It is important that customers see it and believe it as well. Uh, but I want to talk about a particular solution that I know of that you have, and it's called the Optimizer Consumer Goods. Who is the target audience now that we've identified which categories at a CPG brand? And can you get into the world of how Optimizer CG adds value and how you ended up developing it? Why that particular set of outcomes? Yeah, certainly three. So, you know, our, our key audience for, for Optimizer is typically um, the commercial leadership. So, you know, it's either uh, those individuals tasked with, you know, commercial strategy or growth. You know, that's usually a, a much broader title, but those are typically, you know, the people that we talk to. I would say um, on a more everyday basis, it's usually revenue management teams or the revenue manager or the revenue di um, revenue director, head of revenue management. Those are typically the people that really want to embrace um, Optimizer CG simply because of the capabilities it brings. You know, we've already talked about, you know, the, the top-down, bottom-up planning and reconciliation. We've talked about the optimization engines and what that's capable, capable of. But it also supports uh, and indeed codifies, 
you know, all of the rules of the road that, you know, as key account managers, you know, we have to comply with, you know, okay, so what kind of, you know, what are my price floors? What kind of deals can I do? You know, uh, and they've, they've often been, you know, just PowerPoint, you know, please don't do this. This is what you need to do. You know, and compliance can be a little bit with no disrespect to colleagues and former colleagues can be a little bit hit and miss, you know, and sometimes mistakes do get made. So the ability to codify that it isn't that we're, you know, the the promotional police, but it allows revenue managers and indeed commercial leaders a greater degree of certainty in terms of commercial compliance and commercial execution that ultimately is going to benefit the consumer and the retailer and of course the, the manufacturer itself. So those are typically the audiences that we speak to, Shri. So let me close this out in our conversation, Austin, because this has been terrific. When Shri and I when Shri and I invite people onto our podcast, we talk to brands, we talk to retailers, we talk to service providers, agencies. Uh, we also like to talk to people at various stages of development, both very scaled, uh, longitudinally historic brands uh, and companies. And we also love to talk to companies that are a very early stage of their development, which certainly applies to PS Ignite. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about your vision of what's next. Like, where are you? How are you developing your pipeline? How how is your growth plan? Because I think that's very interesting to our audience in understanding how they think about scaling businesses. I think that's a, a great question, and I've you know as as product you know leading product, I've I've got a I've got an you know a view on that. Um, Doug, our CEO, I mean, we're, we're invariably in lockstep. So I'm, I'm sure as you speak to him, he'll, he'll give them a richer, um, you know, view of it. But, you know, for me, how do I see, you know, you know, our development? It's clearly to, you know, simply get more people aware of who we are and what we do. And that's always tough in in any business and, and indeed in any any type of business whether you're a new brand or whether you're a new solution you know there's so there's so many media channels in which to reach out to you know and there's there's such it's very hard to identify how to reach out and how to connect uh, and obviously as a, as a solution business a series a you know startup you know we don't have you know the privilege of going out and hiring a sales, you know, a hundred-man sales team. So we're reliant on building that through reputation, through word of mouth, through existing pilots and customers, through the work we do, obviously through Salesforce, and indeed through you know the networks of, of myself and my colleague, you know, and that's that's a very good good way to you know somewhat organically grow. But what I really feel, and again, this is probably more of the product strategy coming out where I think what's really going to launch and, and propel our growth is the innovation that we're actually bringing to the solutions. Um, you know, if looking out across, you know, the roadmap for the next 18 months, you know, you know, it, it, you know, if it's possible to do, even I'm excited about really bringing that to, you know, reality to truth, you know, some of this stuff is, you know, conceptual. Well, some of it's sitting on a circuit board in my in my office, um, but some of it is so conceptual, but so innovative that you know it really starts to help us 
break into a whole new world and drive that transformation that I think now with with the shock of COVID and what that meant to us all as, as shoppers and consumers and businesses, I think we're now actually more ready to embrace innovation. Whereas before, well, if it's not being done before, I'm not going to do it. Well, guess what? You know, if, if Henry Ford had asked what you want, you know, what people wanted from a car, they'd have just had a faster horse. <laughs> what a great example to end in. So um, <laughs> I want to uh, remind our audience that all our content can be found on cpgguys.com, where you can find close to 120 episodes of lively discussions such as the one we had today with Austin and Peace Ignite, where we decomposed words like IoT, ML, Internet of Things. We connected smart assets to both the Salesforce set of solutions as well as to outcomes, meaningful outcomes for the shopper, a.k.a. the customer who is our boss. Austin, I want to thank you for having that great communication with us and uh, really engaging with us at a level that Peter and I truly enjoy, which is getting to the tech aspects, getting to the consumer aspects, and then connecting it to retail and wrapping up with what's for the future. So thank you for appearing on the show. No, thank you guys very much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Folks, you shape conversations like this. You know how to do it. All you got to do is go to linkedin.com, the search bar, type CPG guys, hit the blue plus button that shows up on top, and you can hit follow and join this dialogue that we have here on the transformation of the industry for the shake of the shopper and for retail as well. And Peter and I also do appreciate ratings. You can go do that easily by going to ratethispodcast.com slash CPG guys where you can also tell us what you think about the show and what you want us to focus on in the future. Peter, my dear friend, as always, a pleasure doing this with you. What are your thoughts on this episode? Dude, I geeked out. I love this. But what I love is Austin. He summed it I mean, up he, in one he's, sentence. He's, he's satisfied my geekiness, but he didn't do it in just language that only I could understand. It was very relatable. You broke it down, Austin. Thank you so much. This was absolutely tremendous. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. Indeed. And for our listeners, Peter and I will catch you soon with another guest on another episode of the CPG Guys coming soon. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPT Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPT Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.